space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We're in Season 3, Episode 3 for the podcast, but we are going to Season 1, Episode 1 of Enterprise. We're going back to Broken Bow. Um, we are going to be covering the entirety of the episode, minus the episode uh, snippets that we had back in episode one of this podcast. Uh, but again, I am not going to do it alone. Uh, hang on a second, just going to pull him up. Paul, are you there? Yeah, yeah. hello, can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. Coming through nice and loud and clear on the subspace, fantastic. Uh, what is it, subspace or time space? There we go. Um, how are we, Paul? How are you doing? Very well, very well. Good, good, good. Really good here at the moment, so uh, looking forward to... Uh, talking about broken bow absolutely um before we get started again uh, just a little refresher for the listeners uh, who are you where can they find you uh my name is paul i am currently in my spare bedroom um that's where you can find <laughs> me um yeah i am one of the hosts one of the three hosts of the uh, cosmic pizza podcast and uh, also the uh, cosmic pizza podcast extra toppings mm. which are a little 10 minute uh, uh, intermediate episode uh, comes out in between the the main episodes. Uh, we talk about anything and everything, and uh, anything and everything. That's that's what we talk about. Yeah, and a good show it is. A very good show. Um, there's uh, been some interesting topics uh, that have been recorded and will be out before this episode comes out. Good old time travel, um, and uh, it's well worth a listen. So uh, anybody listening to this show, go over to the Cosmic Pizza podcast. Uh, although I imagine you've probably got more listeners than I have, uh, because uh, you are on the ESO network as well. So there we go. Um, but uh, yes, do go and check out the Cosmic Pizza podcast. But we are here for Star Trek, a different part of the cosmos, a specific part of the cosmos. And uh, Broken Bow, we are going to start. I'm finally going to get to start to watch proper episodes and without having to chop and change and go backwards and forwards. Um, we're losing a little bit. Like I say, we've already covered a few scenes uh, in the first episode of this season. Um, but effectively, we are watching the entire pilot episode of Enterprise and from here on in it's going to be mostly full episodes with one or two exceptions but we're going to go broken bow it is the pilot what I'm going to do is changing up the format slightly using the L cars system uh, our uh, not patented or pending um, uh, rating system L cars L starts for location so I'm just going to list our timestamps for here if you want to go back and watch it in the order that we are as well so the episode will actually start at 0 minutes 45 seconds, all the way up to the intro, and we'll talk, probably talk about the intro a bit later, uh, at 2 minutes 44 seconds. That comes back into the episode at 4 minutes 7 seconds, all the way up to 18 minutes and 37 seconds. Again, breaking for the previous scenes we looked at, 18 minutes and 50 seconds, all the way to 52 minutes and 8 seconds, then 52 minutes to 41 seconds, all the way to 1 hour, 25 minutes, 21 seconds. And then it's 1 hour, 25 
and 38 seconds all the way to the end credits and I'm not going to list any more than that. Um, it sounds more complicated than it actually is but we are effectively watching the whole episode. Um, but this is Broken Bow. Accessing library computer data. Paul, um, any thoughts on Broken Bow as a pilot for a Star Trek show in general? Um, I was just thinking, literally, just thinking about this as you were talking then, and obviously we have you know TOS, this sort of you know the cage and the, the unaired pilot. I think that's probably you know one of my favourites. Then you got Next Generation, which I don't think it was good, a good introduction to the crew and etc. etc. Um, and what they can do and what they can't do. Voyager, um, yeah, that was a, you know, a real kickback side, you know, real sort of mm. get them by the throat sort of star, you know, that you know really sort of set everything off. Um, and and DS9 is is uh, a little bit more sort of meta. It's a bit sort of you know, um, are there gods? Are there not gods? And you know, you know what's happening to Cisco and all this type of thing. Mm. I think this is one of the better ones. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of intrigue, there's a lot of um, uh, meeting the crew, but only in small parts. We don't meet the whole crew. You sort of gather gather the main people, but there's still a few knocking around that sort of just turn up. But you get straight into it, and uh, you know we find out a lot about uh, the captain. Um, we have this intrigue of the uh, temporal. Temple War, this mysterious man on a on a podium that keeps appearing and reappearing every now and again, and these these the the aliens that are, are fascinating that you know they can they can vanish and they can reappear and they can climb up walls and you know all this type of thing. I think it's, it's actually one of the better pilots. I think mm. I think it's it's uh, it's got it's got quite a lot to it and the effects are good. Um, you know, it's all it, I think it hit the ground running really, um, which considering this. I don't consider Enterprise to be my favourite of the um, of the Enterprise of the uh, Star Trek um, franchise. Mm. Um, overall, it sits a bit lower down you know, the the scale of things, but it doesn't mean it's bad by any means. It's just you know, that's the way I rate them. This is still really really good TV, and I I think this is the better one of the better um, pilots. Really good. Yeah. No. To, took the words out, right out of my mouth um, had the exact same thought as I was watching it and I've been watching it a couple of times just to make notes on, on the episode uh, this one feels cinematic uh, it feels like you could easily have it on a massive screen in a cinema, remember those days um, and just watch this episode because it, it sets up so many different mystery boxes it's it's sort of of that lost era that way of setting up different you know who's this who's this player what are they doing why are they doing it uh this temporal cold war that may become something as we go through the season you know when this first came out you were seeing a crew being put together again that was fa still fairly new we'd sort of seen it in voyager you know we had janeway going to get paris uh, and a few others but that was it you didn't really see the formation of the crew uh, and in some respects you didn't really see it even in ds9 um the D the ds9 crew just came back onto the station and then they met each other but 
this Jonathan Archer goes out and actively recruits his crew. So you kind of feel like he's pulling something together, like he's he's almost creating a, a magnificent seven. You know, he's 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 got to get these guys together for a one grand mission. Um, uh, uh, you know, other than to Paul, who he doesn't really want there for most of this episode, and. Uh, it, it feels really pacey. Um, I never once, you know, sort sort of looked to the watch like, oh yeah, I've seen this episode a million times. I really got into it, and I started to think, oh, I forgot about that little that beat they were putting in for those characters, or this or that. Um, and it made me appreciate it a lot more just rewatching it. Um, it has been a while since I've revisited the Enterprise, so um, I'm looking forward to it. Before we just get started into the scenes, I would like to say we are recording this the week of a very historic moment in space flight as well, or I should say interplanetary flight, because this week NASA it flew the very first aircraft on another planet. Not remotely, only pre-programmed, and it was a helicopter on Mars. So it kind of feels apt that we are going to be uh, going off on an adventure on the first Warp 5 vessel whilst this is also happening uh, as we're recording. So just wanted to sort of mark the time and place. So if you ever come back to this in years time and you discover this podcast, this is when we were recording it. So the first helicopter flight on Mars. Any thoughts on that? Um, I thought it was pretty exciting. I was quite uh, giddy when I was uh, watching the footage. Yeah, it's amazing. I was really, uh, I was really <laughs> geeked out. I thought you've, you've taken a spaceship all the way up there to fly a drone <laughs> just because some guy in the local park says no you can't fly that drone here take it away and the only place you could find it that you know somebody wouldn't complain is it's the ultimate social distance experiment yeah yes <laughs> yeah but i'm glad it was pre-programmed can you imagine if that was, was like real time it's like, <laughs> eight minutes or something <laughs> <laughs> between between signals. <laughs> About 40 minutes later, you realise it's crashed on a nearby rock because he pressed it over or <laughs> yes. left too much. Uh, well, yes, so um, a historic moment in real history and a historic moment in Starfleet history, of course. We're going to start at the Klingon crash scene and we're just going to chat in a very loose, informal way. I'm going to break from convention because this is a huge episode and we're just going dis- to just discuss it uh, and then we'll get back to our ratings criteria after that. But we'll start at the Klingon crash site uh, as that's where it's beginning I really like this opening it's really mysterious it kind of puts me in mind of all the X-Files you know whenever there was a cornfield somewhere and the alien invaders come and you see a, an alien's crash spaceship there's the chase scene um, you don't really know what's going on you get your hick farmer who gets his shotgun and shoots the Klingon um, any thoughts on just how the opening of it yeah, in, intrigue as well, like you say. I mean, at first, when, when you see it, I, when I saw it, I thought, okay, um, where are we in in the timeline? Is this 1950s? You know, this, the, the usual sort of place you'd expect to be with, like you say, the farmer and the cornfield, and it's all very much, oh, he'll be driving an old, you know, Buick from the 1950s or whatever. Well, I'm not, I'm not an expert on American cars, you can probably tell, but you know, it's that sort of that sort of thing. And then obviously they chase into the into the um, into the barn and you know, the explosion, etc. And then he shoots him with this rifle, which looks like a shotgun. When he first brings it out, you think, oh, it's a, it's a, you know, they call them over unders or whatever. The you know, the shotgun with like double barrel, one on top of the other, and boom, he blasts him with a, with this phase rifle. And, oh my goodness. Okay, so we are a little bit in the future then, and but we still haven't. He still doesn't recognise that this is an alien, a, a, you know. A, a Klingon, as it turns out to be. So, um, 
But, he, but if a Klingon is running away from somebody, that is uh, worrying. Mm. They don't run away from people like that. So these guys must be pretty, pretty yeah. awesome. And uh, even watching it now and seeing the slightly dated CGI of the uh, the, the moving Sulaban as they creep under the door. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're making this Klingon who is seven foot tall running through a field of corn uh, for his life. That's pretty, pretty crazy. Um yeah, it's it. I don't know why. It's just one of those images that's always stuck with me. Even when I, whenever I think of Enterprise, I always think of that opening scene um, because it is so different to what we would normally see uh, in a Star Trek episode. That's right. Straight away, like you say, we have CGI here, which we didn't. You know, we haven't had a lot of in, in other series. Um, it tends to be more practical effects until you obviously get onto um, you know the, the sort of space battles mm-hmm. and things. Uh, to see something like that, obviously in the pilot, you're gonna you're gonna throw all of your uh, you know, your budget into the first you know uh, couple of episodes there. It's a double episode, so you can spend more money anyway. But you you want to showcase what you what you have and what you're gonna get and what you're gonna see in the future. So straight away you're thinking, whoa, okay, well this is gonna be pretty cool. It's gonna be it's gonna look like this. This is because don't forget this this was the first Star Trek we'd had in in a few years, mm. hadn't it? I mean. Voyager finished. What did Voyager, Voyager finish? just finished. I think it was uh, just earlier in the year when the production for this started, because um, Voyager I think was on its sixth season. I think as uh, the Millennium hit, so its last season was into two thousand one, um, and then yeah, that um, that then leads up to Enterprise going into full production. You know, as far as we're concerned, as far as the audience is concerned, I think it was about a year's break. But as far as the production team, I imagine it was just straight from one to the other. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was the first time there'd been a break of no Star Trek on on TV since uh, well uh, in the UK since about eighty nine with I think it was eighty seven in the uh, in, in the US. So it was um, you know it was unusual not to have Star Trek on. And you know, I remember at the time thinking, well, will they bring out another series or will it be you know. Will it be that's it? You're gone or what? So we didn't know. But when it came back, I think it came back quite yeah, strong. Absolutely. And th- this episode absolutely showed it with the, with the effect. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's pretty crazy just to think that that you know they were they were planning Enterprise at least when Voyager finished, but we'd had so much Star Trek, and I I know people sort of talk about uh, fatigue with a franchise. Particularly now with the the MCU, they're saying you know when is the bubble going to burst? And so far, it hasn't shown any sign of that. Um, but you could argue that at the end of Voyager, coming to its end, it had been played out. We'd seen a lot of the same themes over and over again. You know, bringing out this new show, what what's it really going to bring to it? Um, and gradually, as bits and pieces started getting released, you know, this is going to be the first ship. You know, not everything's perfect. We haven't seen transporters. You know, they're they're brand new technology, and things are a bit weird. Um, which maybe gave it an edge, but when you see these these initial scenes, and they're changing the format, you know, you've got Klingons running away from people, you've got um, farmers with shot me a plasma shotgun. Um, there is something odd about that. It does make me think that you know we've been so used to seeing first contact with uh, the Enterprise warps into orbit and meets the top government people, you know, the, the officials, the representative of that planet. We've never really seen the Enterprise meet the Hicks on a planet. 
that is something that was brand new. You know, um, we'd never seen, you know, uh, Picard beam down and, you know, it's Cletus and Mordecai at the back and they're trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> what da- what's, uh, what's the Enterprise doing? Uh, who are you? Um, the, you know, the Starfleet, you know, that kind of stuff. We've never seen that. And I don't know why we don't get more of that in Star Trek. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, um, it, they, yeah, they tried to do something similar in the film, didn't they? The, um, where they had the, the duck blind and the uh, data going wild. But, um, yeah, other than that, it tends to be the top officials. It's, it's all very, uh, not lower yes, decks, yes. should we say. But um, just as we've had that scene, it then moves on to what I think is almost a staple, or you have to have this in a Star Trek scene at some point. It's your your hero ship being inspected by a tiny little shuttlecraft uh, for at least five to ten minutes in slow-mo as they discuss and look at the ship. I don't think there hasn't been a Star Trek where there there isn't someone in a shuttle talking about the ship in some way. Um, I can't, maybe I can't think of anything in TNG, maybe in the movies, but uh, yeah, it, it's a nice little scene. I quite like how it, it sets up the friendship for Archer and Trip straight away. That's right, but it does worry me when you, when you've got somebody piloting a shuttle that um, you know he bounces off the hull of the of the Enterprise. You think, oh, whoa, hang on a minute! You're supposed to be the best of the best. You know, this is this crew has been handpicked. This is the first possibly warp five you know uh, vessel. They're going to take it out and test it. They've been trying to you know trying for all of these years to beat the Vulcans off the back and say, look, we can do this. We can do this. We're the best of the best. And he goes and crashes the the <laughs> shuttle into the side. Oh, come on! It was a bit sort of galaxy quest there, wasn't it? Well, I mean, okay, yeah, he's picked the best of the best as far as the rest of the crew. But as we found out in our last episode, Trip is basically just his best mate who stood up for him once in a fight. And that's pretty much his only reason that he's on the ship. Um, you know, he, he's shown he can work a, you know, a laptop uh, and, you know, launch a vessel through that. So maybe that's good enough for a Warp 5 vessel. Um, but uh, as I've said before, Trip is not my favourite character, and I apologise for trait uh, for Trip hate that is going to come out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but I haven't located when I actually disliked this character yet, because uh, in this pilot I actually quite liked him. I thought there was enough about him that I enjoyed. There are a couple of scenes that maybe was the beginning of my uh, Trip dislike, uh, my Trip hatred, my Trip traited. I might call it traded. There we go. Trademark uh, Temple Trek uh, traded. Um, but yeah, Trip is not my favourite character. So the fact that he bumps the ship straight away, um, yeah, I'm going to hold it against him now. It's for four seasons. This is just he's the guy who bumped the ship. But I do like that we are going to come back to that bump uh, in seasons time, uh, in in episodes to come. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great little scene. It just sets up their friendship and the fact that we now go down to Starfleet and we're going to see what happened to the Klingon and a bit more of the rivalry with the Vulcans. Any thoughts on the Vulcans and this discussion about the Klingon and the mission to come? Well, this is a side of the Vulcans we haven't seen before, as far as I can remember anyway. The, um, you know, the, the, the early stages of the, of the relationship between humans and Vulcans, or as early as we can get. Um, and the they don't paint them in a good light. I mean, they, 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 you know, these people have been holding us back for for so long, and Arch is really uh, not, you know, taking it personally because obviously it was his, his dad that had, you know, designed the the engines and all this type of thing. So, you know, it was it, there was a lot of hatred for um, 
for the Vulcans at this point, and and it doesn't surprise me that, of course, uh, uh, you know, when, when later on when he gets to, when he gets told that he'll have to pull on the ship, um, he's not happy about it mm. at all. Um, he blames everything, you know, for his, you know, from his father's point of view uh, on them, and they they really don't do anything to help themselves. You know, the, it's quite obvious to us that they are holding us back, and they know that they're holding us back, but you know, they being statesmen of course you know they, they, they don't you know, they pretend that it's you know it's purely natural and, and all this but they're the ones who found mm-hmm. us they i mean but at the same time you know because they found us and they said right okay you're warp capable uh, so we will make contact so they make contact but then of course they have to wait until we've got a few more ships and a few more people and and built up a um, you know a federation that's going to work you know that that's you know, bring the planet together that will all work you know, united and, and you know, will be capable of traveling around the, uh, the universe. So I can see why they're holding it. Well, why they would wait until we were really ready to go before they let us go. But I think they're really sort of holding us back, which is the, uh, the niggly bit. Um, you know, we, we've been, you know, it's natural for humans to say, we're ready. We want to go now. We want to get exploring. That's what we do. We, you know, we want to go now. Now. And you know, they're saying, "Well, you're not ready. You're not capable yet. You need a bit more time." You need... Well, and, and we made this point on the on the last uh, podcast that why not take a few of people with you? you know, the Vulcans could take a few humans, train them up, show them around the place, get some captains, put them on ships, show them what it's all about and what's expected of them, then bring them down like an, an exchange program. And you know, we could have a couple of Vulcans down here, engineers and things, helping us out with the, you know, with the warp engines and making sure we don't make any mistakes that they must have made, or any other species they've bumped into has made. So it's a bit, you know, it does feel as though they're picking on us a little mm. bit here. Although, I mean, maybe the Vulcans just don't like interns, and they just, you know, they, they think, ah, oh, you know, those poor little humans, you know, stick them in the corner, give them the dummy job to do, you know, cleaning out, cleaning out the Vulcan <laughs> toilets, just go on in. Um, you know they didn't really have anything to give us, so uh, they uh, they just decided we'll just be really snobby. That's that's our way of dealing with you. Um, we're just going to say eh, yeah. you're not ready yet. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that they did try and offer some reason behind it in that uh, one of the Vulcans, the other ambassador, not Saval and not Topol, the other guy, says that had we not intervened, uh, you would have been facing a fleet of warbirds um, by the end of the week. So, you know, there's this element that they're shielding them from these species. But, I mean, the guy gets the name wrong. He says Klingot instead of Klingon. You would have thought they would have said, oh, by the way, there's this huge empire with, you know, hundreds of houses all fighting each other. They've got a ton of warbirds. They are going to come here if we don't do anything. Maybe we would have been a bit more, all right, yeah, okay, you're looking after us. You know, that's, that's fine. Yeah, just just yeah. tell us a little bit more, just a little bit more information. Um, I'd... I did like that uh, Archer was just like a, a bull in a china shop. They brought him in. Uh, obviously, Forrest has invited him in because he knows that it's not going to sit well, and he even tells him so. But he's like, excuse me, is this man dead? Just walks straight into the, you know, the mortuary. Uh, <laughs> does not take anything from anyone. He has clearly become the captain he needs to be. Having just seen in the last two episodes that he was still learning, he now doesn't take no for an answer. He will just do whatever it takes uh, to get his way. And we get to meet Flocks as well. I think it's a nice little introduction that he's already working the job. And it's his willingness to try new things and uh, 
you know, look after this Klingon uh, and not pull the plug, which is what the Vulcans are suggesting. That I think is the reason why Archer wants to bring him onto the crew. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is this is one of my favourite characters in, in Enterprise. I love Flocks. Um, he he is um, working in the dark ages, as one of the other <laughs> doctors might say, using leeches and, and various herbs and, and herbs for our American <laughs> listeners. Um, it's just uh, I just love the guy. I mean, I, lo- I love the the actor anyway. Um, Billingsley is, is brilliant and. It, 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 and they, they show, um, of course, you know, they're using the CGI again um, later on in the, in the uh, episode when he smiles and he gets this massive smile on him. Um, you think, oh, who is this guy? This, you know, this is not just some guy with a mask on. You know, it's just put a head on him and he's another alien. Uh, he's got something to him, mm. um, and he's quite happy to say, look, you know, I'm the Doctor. I know a lot about stuff that's out there about you know, all these alien creatures and leeches and things. And Archer's just, you know, he's looking around at all these things that are crawling in cages and stuff. You know, I mean, that's just, um, he obviously knows that the Doctor knows a lot more than he does. So he's quite happy to let him let him alone in his own little uh, world and, uh, to sort things out. But yeah, I mean, but instantly, uh, Flox is very much, um, you know, this is my patient and I'm going to look after him. So I will go with him. Um, and, you know, that's that's what you want in a, in a doctor. You want somebody who is purely focused on the patient good or bad mm. you know that's the, you know he's he's taken the oath if, if if they do that in starfleet but um yeah it's uh it's a good introduction to him and i like i do like him yeah it's that it's the pure joy in him like i like the idea mm. that the character who is probably the most alien i mean you know to paul is a vulcan but she looks pretty much like us he is the most alien looking of the crew and that he is optimistic he is the embodiment of what we know star trek will become um, he's happy to try new things, you know, whether it's uh, Chinese food uh, or his uh, ink drop soup. Um, I like how he was going for like the, you know, the actor's choice at least for going for different ways of saying things. Um, but I feel like it's the first time watching Star Trek that I've seen myself reflected in a man who's got a receding hairline, a little bit of a belly, and uh, is slightly wider in the face than most. Uh, characters we've said shall we say um literally uh, when when he's smiling but uh, you know he's got a slightly rounder look he's not chisel drawed like everybody else on the crew um i quite like it he's he is us it's nice <laughs> it is yeah he's, he does he certainly does like his chinese food. absolutely yes, that's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's do it all but you know it's, that's uh, fine it's, it's, loosening the belt <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I do like I do like the characterization of him. I, do, I love the way uh, uh, Billingsley talks. He sort of slows right down. Let's be ready up really quickly, and then he slows right down again. It's just, oh, thank you very much, Captain. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way he talks. It's hilarious. But it's uh, it's great, I and mean, it, it makes the character more lovable. I think mm, absolutely, and just the glee when uh, you know coming future scenes down the ride that. He's dissecting this uh, Sulaban and pulling him apart and talking about all the genetic engineering. And uh, you see these and he's pulling guts out and showing Archer. And, <laughs> and it's just brilliant. Ah, oh, It's fantastic. Um, uh, but I jump ahead a little bit. Uh, and we've got lots of other scenes where we meet all of our characters sort of in stages. Like I say, Archer is recruiting his kind of magnificent seven. Uh, the next two characters. Uh, crew that we meet are actually Travis and Malcolm and it's our way of introducing the ship 
the level of technology uh, just through their conversation. You know, we get this idea that there are boomers, there are people who've been living in space for a long time and who are on trade ships and, and merchant ships. And then you've got Malcolm, uh, you know, seeing myself reflected in flocks, it's nice to hear a British clipped accent who isn't French. It's very nice. Um, it, might be, it might be nice for you Southerners. <laughs> Well, where's the regional accents? I mean, come on, you've got you got Trip Tucker there with the most Texan sort of Southern accent that you could possibly hear, and you know, that that instantly puts my you know the hairs on my neck up, and I go, oh, oh, I don't, you know, this, oh, he's being all loud and American, and oh, and and you know, and then you've got all the other you know American actors who have all got you know different regional uh, voices, and it's really good. And then you bring on this really posh sort of, oh, I'm from the Royal Navy, don't you know? You know Come on. I have no idea what Some you're talking about, dear fellow. What's yeah. going on? He's perfectly fine. There's, there's uh, our southern accents. There's, uh, th- you've got the Irish with Miles O'Brien. You've got Scotty. And there's nothing in between. That's fine. <laughs> What are you talking about? We're the Welsh. We haven't got the Welsh uh, people in here. <laughs> Welshy. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, at least in uh, Frasier, they had uh, a character there who, ironically, wasn't from Manchester, but bring, brought on a fantastic Manchester accent, you know, proving that there wasn't just, you know, London and that's the UK, you know, <laughs> or at least, you know, that's that's not just Britain, you know. Um, you know, it would have been nice rather than to have a sort of, I say, yeah, as, as though I'm really part of the Navy and it's, it's all very good. And yes, load the cannons, please. <laughs> Come on. I mean, coming from the dockyards, you'd probably appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just every day for me, really. It's just, you know, a guy talking about the Royal Navy. Perfect. Um, well, okay, so uh, what I'm hearing here is that in future Star Trek shows, you want Sean Bean to be in it in some level or, or another, uh, preferably not to die by you know the end of the first episode or first season. Um, uh, any other any other people that you would like to see in the in the show? Just to bring... I, 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 this is very niche, and if, if, um, if anybody's seen the film Titanic, if you if you see the captain of the Titanic, Bernard Hill, mm-hmm. brilliant brilliant actor from uh, from the UK. Uh, is uh, is not from uh, Liverpool at all, but he did play a Liverpool character in a TV series back in the early 80s. Um, oh, and if I can remember the name of it. Um, but he played a, a real scouser, and he was out of work. He was lazy, didn't want to do any jobs. He was unskilled. He, you know, he was all the, the sort of real sort of down and out type of person, but had a a, a really thick Liverpool accent. Um, and he he just every he'd walk onto a building site and, and go up to the to the foreman and say. Give us a job, mate. Give us a job. I can do that. Give us a job. And that, that's that's all he said. Well, I can. Yeah. Why can't we have somebody like that? On? You know, somebody who's who's just they happen to pick up on a on a planet somewhere, and, and he's walking around the ship, going up to people, going, "Give us a job, mate. Give us a job. I can do that." The, I'm a bit of the over enthusiastic engineer. So you've got the chief engineer who'll be like trip, and then you just got you know, "Give us a job. I've, I've finished my shift. Come on." And it's just like, oh god, I'm running out of things to give him, and uh, just. Now I know why the Vulcans don't like interns. Oh, crying out loud. Um, I, I do like that they mention that uh, nobody trusts the transporter. Uh, and yes. quite rightly so. It is a death box. It is a, a murder machine. Um, uh, ship of Theseus and all that. But um, it's it's nice to know that even Archer doesn't trust it and he won't put his dog through it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and the, you, you see them beaming up, you know, food mm. uh, and and machinery and things like that so they say you know we, we, that, that's all we can do at the moment you know i wouldn't trust i don't you know they're not bringing people on blah 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 if they would have shown then um 
the like the transporter accident that happened in TOS, you know, bring up a um, a crate or something, and it doesn't actually appear as a crate, and you think, oh dear, that went a bit wrong. That puts a bit more jeopardy on later into the episode. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're saying, oh yes, it's okay for bringing stuff up, look, it works fine. There is no jeopardy there. You haven't got the Doctor McCoy going, oh, you're not scrambling my you know, atoms across the galaxy, etc., etc. It doesn't really mean anything if you, if you say it, but it's not happening. Yeah. Show it still a bit, little bit uh, temperamental. Like, uh, when then... he opens up the the case and he says it's it's not the thing he ordered, it could just be that it was spoiled by going through transport. That <laughs> the guy didn't do it properly, and we could have yeah. then met a transporter chief. We could have got an extra crew member. We could have seen, you know, the the lieutenant Kyle, the the chief O'Brien of the Enterprise era, uh, who would presumably become really important for the show. Um, o- O'Brien's great grandfather, or oh. however many. However many generations it'll be, I can't think of how many it'll be in between. But yeah, he's the one saying gear's a job because uh, mm. nobody wants to use the transport. It's like, come on, just st- step on the pad, gear's a job. Yeah. I'm not going to do an Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing offensive. Till we get till we get to, to TNG. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that episode's coming. Oh good, oh joy. Uh, I apologise to all the Irish listeners or listener. I imagine I don't have many more than one um, uh, for when that episode does come around. Um, we're going to move on to Brazil and we're going to meet Hoshi. And uh, Hoshi, I have a lot of love for Hoshi as a character because uh, lots of people don't like her. People say that she's whiny, that she complains too much, but actually I kind of empathise with her quite a bit through most of this episode and beyond in Star Trek. Um, any thoughts on Hoshi and uh, how we get to meet her? And uh, would you like to go to Brazil to learn um, different languages? Um, yeah, well, um, <laughs> no, not, mm. <laughs> maybe not Brazil. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, Hoshi, uh, uh, this is great because, again, we're still at the beginnings of, of communication with other species. And we've, we really do need linguists and, and the, you know, the top linguists on the planet really need to be the people you put into space. Uh, however reluctantly they want to, to be there, um, whether she thinks she's ready or not. Archer is saying, dangles that little carrot in front of her, saying there's a whole new uh, uh, language out there that you've not heard before, and it's uh, it's, you know, it's really, really good, it'll be great for you. And so, of course, it you know, piques her interest. But she's not really thought it through uh, when it comes to you know, actually being on the spaceship and getting to these places and, and meeting <laughs> these people. So... Um, it's good to see a, um, a person who is not 100% up to the job straight away. Um, although you would expect, you know, on a ship like this, you would go through years of training, blah, blah, blah. She's basically basically just the communications officer, so all she needs to do is speak lots of languages and be able to switch on a few switches and put that thing in your ear. <laughs> um, so, that I mean, that's you're not expecting a lot of her in that respect. So, therefore, it makes total sense for her to be very nervous about being in a ship or meeting people or whatever so the character works really well for me um mm. and i think the, the actress pulled it off really well mm. and it gives another outlook you know we've we've had uh, travis and i know we didn't really go into travis very much but there's a better scene i think for travis coming up um in the sweet spot uh, where we can talk about mayweather um but you know you've got the experienced hand who's been out there You've got Malcolm, who seems ready to shoot anything that's coming his way. You've got uh, Trip, who's just overconfident about everything. Archer, who just wants to get out there and prove something. Um, we've had Phlox, who is uh, endless optimism, and T'Pol, who is uh, optimi- uh, you know, ultimate skeptic. 
it's nice to have a dose of fear. It's nice to have just that one character who's like, really, do we have to be doing this? You know, can we not just go home, please? Um, and I think that's why I love her. I think that's just, she is basically who I would be if I were called upon. If I had a skill that was desperately needed on this mission, but, you know, they actually say you've now got to do it. You've actually got to come on this ship and spend five with us, five years with us out in space. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no turning back. There's no coming home. And I'd be like, is there not someone else? Please. <laughs> just, just as much as it's romantic to think I'd be in space, it's not going to be nice. Yeah, that's right. I mean, she's basically the closest to a civilian we've got on the um, on the ship, really. I mean, yeah, she is mm. part of Starfleet, but yeah, you know, she's not a space a spaceman, a space person. Yeah, astronaut by any by any means. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, space. Yes, space person, space crewman, crew person. Mm. There we go. There we go. Um, we get up to uh, the launch, and we got the dry dock, and we get a nice little callback to the end of last season. We get to see Zephyrin Cochran again. And the big speech about, you know, on this site, uh, there will be a great uh, engine built. We get to see a little bit of Henry Archer just there in the background, you know, looking longingly at, at Zephyrin Cochran, who must be about, I think it was 120 when this is recorded, if you add up all the maths, uh, because it's 56 years after first contact. Uh, if he was in his 30s, then add, he says, 32 <laughs> years to that. That's quite a long time <laughs> that he would have been alive. Yeah, he looks at quite an old 30s, but, but there we go. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I like the, the callback there. I like the speech that they do. Um, funny that they say, yeah, you know, they, they say, uh, they don't say uh, uh, boldly going, they say uh, going boldly. <laughs> um, sort of, it grates a bit, but, it, well, I suppose it's correct, but. I've never really understood why, but anyway, um, <laughs> as far as I can say, it's fine to say it that way. Why not? Um, it's um, it's good. It's, it's a good little callback. I like I like that, and they managed to get um, uh, what's his name, uh, the actor. Uh, oh, James James Cromwell. Yeah. James Cromwell. That's it. They managed to get James Cromwell back to do it. So that was good. Mm, absolutely. It's it. It was also nice just you know to have a cameo from someone who was the old crew. Or the old people, uh, you know, holding that baton over, because uh, we haven't really seen any other people at this point um, who you could say, well, you know, that was a nice little callback to the previous show and things. You know, they didn't have and um, Tom Paris, you know, as his direct descendant who'd been one of the other test pilots handing over to Archer or something like that. Um, so it was nice to have him as the person who was handing it on, having just had him in first contact. Um, and we're off, and we're in space, and we've got Clang on board, who is not making any kind of sense whatsoever, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what was going on, what were you trying to deliver, why were the Sulaban after you? Uh, stinky boots, we get uh, mis miscommunications, but again, showing how amazing Ho she is, that in a day or two of having the library of Klingon language, she has managed to at least work out that stinky boots is a word in uh, in Klingon. Um <laughs> Even whether he meant it to say it or not. Yeah, I th and th there was something actually which uh, I forgot to touch on um, when they were when the Klingons were, were talking and they were saying about uh, mm. Clang, uh, Kang. What's his name? Is it Clang? I've got Clang here, but it, it might be Kang actually now. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Well, whatever, it, whatever his name is. <laughs> um, saying about when he was captured, when he was shot, 
uh, that the Klingons always like to die in battle. And, you know, if you take him back alive, he'll be disgraced. It'll be, you know, he, he will look a fool. He will, you know, he shouldn't be uh, taken back. And I thought that was a very good point. Mm. Um, and I don't think it was ever resolved because Archie just basically said, oh, shut up. We're taking him back. You know, we, we don't let people die and all this. Well, you're not respecting other people's cultures, certainly. Um, and you don't fully understand what the Klingons are, <laughs> who they are, and that they are a warrior race and they want to, they want to die in battle. I would have wanted, I was trying to find out what Clang was trying to say because he was, mm. um, although he had the message to deliver, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so his mission really was to do that. Should he have died in that battle or is it okay for him to carry on? Then I, I don't it's see that being resolved. resolved. No. Yeah. I suppose you could argue that the rifle didn't kill him. It incapacitated him. He was knocked out and a Klingon could probably be knocked out, but is that a matter of honour that if you were knocked unconscious even by a weapon that because you didn't die you shouldn't have to be honour killed to maintain your honour yeah but they were keeping him alive in the in the um you know at Starfleet weren't they 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 sort of got him back and managed to you know bring him back to life or or, or at least you know repair the wound and, and he had him on their life support at some point so um, should he have should he have died there or maybe his mission was that strong that he really thought he should you know, the, in that respect, he managed to deliver the message, and therefore, hey presto, he, he's 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 okay. So yeah. Well, I mean, to to jump to the end, I mean, he does say he's ready to die again. Hmm. So maybe because he's willing to say that, it kind of undoes uh, any thought that they were just going to kill him outright. That hmm. he, the, you know, he'll be put through some make up a Klingon word for a tri- uh, for some sort of trial or. Um, uh, anything that you know, like Worf used to do, he'd just make up. Oh, this is the muck bar because I'm yes. going to be sounding very Klingon right now. And you know, he'd be making up some trial that you have to go through to prove your honor. Maybe he goes off and does that. We don't really see what happens to him after that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a threat with a knife to 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 Archer, so we're kind of given the impression that he didn't make a friend on that day. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe. That's a good point. We go, we get to meet the the bad guys um, straight off the bat. Uh, the Sulaban are given a mission to go and retrieve Clang, and we meet this mysterious future guy, uh, a guy who's sort of in a what looks like a transporter beam mixed with a hologram machine. It's never quite uh, decided, and there's some temporal delay, some distortion effect on the Sulaban. Um, the Sulaban in question, uh, we find out his name, Silic, and he he's got this fantastic villain voice. You don't trust it, and it's very dark and mysterious. And well, I have to get him, and all this kind of stuff. And the the future guy is very aloof, and you don't get much out of him. Any thoughts on the future guy? Um, what we saw here, and your thoughts on the future guy as it plays out over Enterprise as well. Um, I I must admit it's been a while since I've watched the full uh, first season of Enterprise, but um, so I was trying to not mess around with with my brain and think too much ahead and just take this as you know we're starting again and you know it's a blank blanks a clean slate and we're starting again um so i was i was looking at him thinking he sounds almost like a badmiral mm. maybe somebody from uh, the federation that's if, he, if maybe he's come from the future because if it's a, if it is a future thing maybe you know it's a, down the line he's coming back and so i, I couldn't really uh, remember who he was and, and what he was all about so i just had to take it as face value but interesting when you've got Silic there, who's this you know genetically modified race 
um, that he is bowing and, and kowtowing to this person that you can't mm. see and you don't really know who it is. So again, you've got the, you've got the Klingon, then you've got this guy who's even better than the Klingon because he can you know fight him and bend through under doors and things, and then he's kowtowing to another person. <laughs> How far up the chain do we go? Is this it now? Is this the real bad guy now? Have we found the man? Um, or do we go somewhere else after this? Or is he just a rogue Q that's uh, popped up and there's a Q continuum behind him? You know? How... There's a, there's another hologram guy on his left shoulder who he's then talking to, and then on his <laughs> yeah. left shoulder it's an even tinier guy. And it just keeps going. Yeah, it's like Russian dolls. It's it's really... Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very strange. I, I, but I, my first thought was, this is somebody who um, is human, is what was my mm. first thought. It looks a bit human from the, from the silhouette, but... Um, I couldn't replace it and sort out who he was. I think that was the idea, obviously, is to keep that mystery, yeah. and we'll we go into it later. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, we'll discuss it as we go through the season and, and we see more of, of them and what potentially their plan might be. Um, I remember when the episode first came out, all of the chit-chat on uh, the very early days of the internet when chat rooms were just starting to, to fire up. And lots of people were saying, well, you know, this is before the Romulan War. Maybe it's the Romulans. And this is, you know, some sort of, you know, senator who's got a devious plan to destroy the humans. But in this scene, he does say we weren't planning on involving the humans. This was just to attack the Klingons. They, they had no plans on bringing the humans in, which does make me think, given the nature of this podcast, are we already looking at an altered timeline? If they weren't looking to involve the humans, but the humans have now been involved... Did they expedite the journey into space? You know, did it actually mean that the Enterprise went and perhaps there was an original timeline where the Enterprise didn't get to go, the Archer didn't launch the NX-01 till maybe months, maybe years later uh, when some other uh, opportunity arose? I don't know. Maybe that will feature into our ratings criteria. But any thoughts on that? Like, because of that line? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that until you just mentioned it. But yes, you're right. I think that, that they are they are messing around with it to some mm. to some point um yeah that, that is a good call because i mean we see it as the timeline you know it doesn't matter how many times they split off or go back and change it that we always see it as the star trek timeline we don't see until we get to the kelvin timeline obviously we don't see <laughs> how an action can change but even then we're still on the same timeline even in yeah. the kelvin timeline we're still following that that thread yeah uh, we've ignored everything else that you know we may go back to it but well, whatever um so yeah, we are following this. The, the, um, the, the, the thread that we're following is the thread that says the NX01 took off on this day and away they went, and you know suddenly we're in space, and the rest of what we know to be future history is all set out, ready to go, um, all because this person decided to mess around and, and got the, the humans involved. But yes, this is only one thread of many uh, that we could mm. quite easily follow, but this is the thread we're following. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, obviously the nature of the podcast is I'm watching it in chronological order, but because this show came after everything else, you could see, you know, as we're seeing at the moment with all the new Trek and everything, lots of arguments about, well, this isn't really uh, the dreaded word canon. This isn't part of the universe because X, Y, Z, you know, it doesn't fit, all this sort of thing. But because of that line being in this pilot, you could make the argument that when we get to future series, we are watching a different timeline and that this and effectively all of Enterprise 
is a completely different timeline. There is still an Archer in all timelines, in all histories, but this show doesn't necessarily lead to TOS, doesn't necessarily lead to Discovery, to TNG, to everything else that's to come. There we go. We'll, we'll feature that in the uh, in the con- yeah, continuity part of our ratings criteria. The bridge scene uh, where we're going from warp three to warp four point four. Uh, we get the slightly jumpy Hoshi who's talking about you know did you hear the deck plating? Um, we've lost uh, Clang at this point. The the Sulaban have actually taken Clang and they've now got him prisoner. So we're trying to find Clang, um, but we're still getting some of the you know the ins and outs of space travel and it's still not quite there um any thoughts on you know feeling a little bit nervous apprehensive about using a warp drive uh and do do you feel like it still works that you know the fact that they've already been testing these things for quite some time when um the guys in the uh, the um the space shuttle when that first took off They'd had so many times that they'd taken the shuttle up on the back of the 747 and jettisoned it, and then it glided down. Not once had they taken off. So they had to take off at some point, and although you want to be the pioneer and the first guy to do it, it must be pretty nerve-wracking to sit there thinking, we haven't really made sure that everything works. <laughs> you know, We can try it in isolation, but all together in one go, and especially when you're look, looking at the previous week when it never actually took off and they had to delay it. So you think, uh, you know, there's still a few things here we haven't tried. So somebody's got to do it the first time first, and this is one of those times. I mean, you can, you, you, you can drive the ship, you can fly it around a bit, but really nobody's ever been above that you know, Warp 5 for a long time. And even had that ship out in space for a long time. You know, the, will the pressure, you know, crack a few joints over the time rather than just, you know, a few days it's already been out up and about? Or you know, it's a it's a big old vessel. This thing, you know, you know, it's it's a big piece, you know, big piece of metal that's got to try and get faster than warp five. So it's yeah, it can be very, it can be nerve wracking. I mean, especially when you consider that you're not not really the test pilots you're the people who are taking this thing out properly for its first voyage mm. um and you know like i say chuck yeager did quite a few uh you know test flights himself uh but never really took out a 747 for a you know a flight across the atlantic and i think he would have been a bit nervous at doing that <laughs> absolutely i just yeah you just think of all the people who were the first to use you know a massive galleon when it was first going out and sailing out and there's you know bits of water pumping in through different you know plates and different bits of timber that haven't quite settled or haven't seasoned yet um and how nerve-wracking that must be and you know here you are traveling 36 i think you said 36,000 or 36 million miles an hour and uh you know hoshi's quite right to say eh, does anyone hear that is there something shaking please just can, can someone just slow down again um but again, it's one of the reasons I love that character. Yeah, she's pointing out everything I think I would do as well. We get uh, the sweet spot conversation. Uh, now we're going to really talk about Travis and I think some of the things about this. Uh, I love the idea of the sweet spot, even though t- to me as a writer, I would think, well, what exactly is that going to do? Like, is this like a spot that's going to be there every episode that, you know, whenever there's like a heart to heart talk between two characters, they go to the sweet spot and have a conversation what exactly it's for i don't know but it's really nice to see travis explain that actually this is just a nature of space travel at the moment that there are 
places on a spaceship that are weird and wonderful and a little bit you know unusual and he's used to it that he's grown up in space any thoughts on travis travis i like uh he, that's an interesting character that somebody who's already like you say already been out there and seen a lot more than any of the others so he his experience should uh, play well archie should really use him a lot you know to hmm. see uh, oh, have you met these people before have you I mean, what's it like out there and what you know what can we expect etc etc so that's it's that's a good uh it's a good character the sweet spot bothers me um hmm. I, I don't know how factual it could be that you could possibly do something like that, but I, I like the I like the idea of it. He's sat on let's call it the ceiling. You know, he's upside down from our perspective, mm. and um, <laughs> it, 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 it's hard to explain. How can you come from below and see the, see somebody above you, and then you get halfway, and then you have to flip around, and then you're upside down. What's on the other side of that plate? Who's on the other side of that plate? <laughs> Because it can't be on the outside of the ship, surely it can't be. And they were saying like it's in the middle somewhere. So I'm thinking, surely there's some people walking around on the other side of that plate, walking upside down or something. <laughs> I, I just couldn't work out how what we were supposed to be looking at exactly. Yeah. Um, and how do you get back down again? Like I couldn't see any, you know, ladders or anything to really grab onto. It's all smooth surfaces up to the top. Exactly. Yeah. Because when he came out, I mean, you can understand where, where Travis was. If he wants to get back into the um, you know, into the ladder, he sort of jumps up, if you like, to a point yeah. where it goes neutral, and then he starts to fall. He can then grab onto the ladder, and then he can right himself, and off he goes. Um, but when Tucker comes up through the the hatch, like you say, he says, he says, you know, just let yourself, pull yourself up and then let go. And, and, and so he sort of free falls and then he has to try and spin halfway around and then just go <laughs> bang straight into the, into the floor, in inverted commas, <laughs> ceiling, whatever it is. It, it's, it it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like saying, you know, um, climb up onto your ceiling and then just drop onto the floor. But halfway down, <laughs> and spin round, you'll be fine. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it still baffles me today what it exactly they were trying to get at with it and where they were going for it. Um, I kind of wish we'd seen it more because visually it's interesting just to have the characters are upside down. You know, if you have a character who's going through a turmoil yeah. and they're going through upside down, you know, it's a nice little way of showing that in the scene. But yeah, like, why? What What exactly does that do? Well, well you've seen the, the Great Escape. Yes. And I think it's the um, Steve McQueen character that keeps getting locked up. Mm. And he's and he's got the baseball and he's throwing it against the wall. Why yeah. couldn't you have somebody in that sweet spot throwing a ball as it would be up away from himself and he sort of gets slows down, almost stops, and then carries on? And speeds up and hits the wall on the other side, bounces back and then sort of starts to slow down and then speeds back up again and he catches it. That would you know, be cool. Or two people just throwing a ball, you know, an American football or something at each other and it's doing <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and they're just having a conversation. Just, just, you know, like, oh, we haven't, you know, we've got a bit of time off. Do you fancy going up to the sweet spot? Yeah, go on then. So they have a quick chat up there and, you know, they're just chewing the fat. Yeah, you know, little, mm. little scenes like that would have been really good. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. It's it would have been nice actually if this had been the origin of Parisi squares. From the few things that we've heard about Parisi squares and anti gravity and not losing your step and all this sort of thing, that we kind of see the invention of the sport as Enterprise goes on. It was one of those like 
oh, that would be really interesting kind of moments when I was just thinking about, well, what exactly are they going to do with it? And they never really go back to it. I don't really remember many sweet spot moments uh, in the episodes to come. Um, you know, it would have been just fun that the Parisi Squares tournaments on the Enterprise were the the thing that we kind of found out about. We we didn't even know it was there. Um, but uh, yeah, I I love the scene. It it's funny, it's silly, and we get to see Travis. And I agree with you that Travis is probably the most important person on the ship because he knows space, he's lived in space, and he can probably do things with this ship that even though he's not really flown before that they've never seen before, like manoeuvres that would only occur to him because he's lived in space for so long. Um, and there's a lot of promise in this character, and I'm not going to go any more into that because we will find out more about Travis, or not, as Enterprise goes on. Um, uh, as we go through, uh, we've got uh, the Sulaban in sickbay, we've already discussed them and being pulled apart by uh, by flocks far too eagerly. Uh, the osmotic eels. I do like the uh, the introduction of the osmotic eel. Uh, in engineering, we get uh, a little discussion between Trip and T'Pol as they're trying to attune their sensors so they can find Clang and um, you know uh, use Vulcan know-how with the the uh, the equipment that's on board. And Trip gives T'Pol a hard time. This is one of the scenes where I didn't like Trip. He was he was coming in down too hard on T'Pol. Uh, I felt like he was just being too harsh. I know he's standing up for his friend, but Archer's already had his say-so. You know, there's a job to do at hand. You should really be getting on with that. But he's really getting in her face and and trying to hold her up to it. He does say, uh, you Vulcans do like to patronise us. I would like to say it's patronise. Thank you very much. Um, If you're going to say it, you're going to say it right. And we find out that we're going to go to Rigel 10. Uh, Nice little sneaky reference to a Star Trek, you know, Rigel... A planet we'd never really got to go to before. Um, any thoughts on Rigel 10, uh, patronising, patronising, uh, but uh, Trip and Paul coming to heads? Uh, yeah, no, to, you, this is where we see um, a Star Trek at its best, I think, is when you have friction between characters. Um, you, TNG I loved, and I love the fact that they all work together for a common goal, and, and that's something to aspire to. Um, this this had to happen, I think, because you couldn't have a Vulcan on the ship and not have arguments, and and you know it all goes you know, superbly well. Um, and of course, a friend of Archer's is going to stick up for him, and he's instantly going to dislike the Vulcans as well because he's had the same conversations. He was part of that conversation that you know we're ready to go, we need to go now, etc. That we were spoke about in the previous podcast. Hmm. So it's it's natural that he's going to you know, argue you know, with with Topal and not like Klingons. Um, Archer's been very, very professional, and but in saying yes, we need to work together. I don't have to like it, and I'm not going to like it, but we will work together in order to you know complete this mission. So, really, um, Tucker should take a, a sort of a, a step back and, and and look up to Archer and say, right, well, if he's being like that, I'll, t- I'll follow his lead. So it is a bit annoying that these, you know, these they're arguing and, and the, you know, they're not getting it. But I understand why, and it, like I say, it, it does make for a better television than just instantly getting on like like Voyager crew or something. It, it plays into this idea that it is much more cinematic. I think that um, because you get the the arguments between them, that you you're kind to you're kind of given a, a Star Trek that's that's so much different, that is so much more interesting to watch. Um, 
that yeah i know it's not supposed to be gene's vision and and people who want to come back to me about that yeah fair enough okay um but because it's explicitly stated in the nature of the show this is before all that sets up it's good to see these tensions it's good to see that um things that you might get in your workplace um arguments between colleagues uh are still happening in space so it's still going to be that's there. right and you and you got it in tos as well with with bones and spock Mm. Although they respected each other, there was still a little that little niggly um, racism, from speciesism, if you want to call it, um, that they didn't trust Vulcans and Vulcans didn't you know, trust humans, and there was still a bit of it in, in, in there. So really, this is quite uh, apt. You know, it, it's the start of it, if you like, before it thaws out a bit and comes becomes a lot better later on. So it does it does make sense. We're going to move on to the first away mission. Uh, we go down to Rigel 10, we're trying to find, um, if not Clang, the people that Clang was speaking to, so we can try and figure out where he may have been taken by the Sulaban. Uh, we get um, the nightclub, and we get what I'm turning uh, Sexy Trek, what they were trying to go for with these butterfly reptilian eating people things i don't know what these ladies are or if they are ladies um but <laughs> the fact that malcolm's eyes seemed to pop out of his head when he saw the the tongues coming out the mouth um any thoughts on rigel and the whole away mission the um i was a bit disappointed when the star trek to me should should hold and i think it will in any any more series that come further forward will hold itself in a higher regard and hopefully hold uh, women in a high regard because going into a pole dancing um, joint, uh, it, uh, this is 2004, and I, even then you could feel that it, it was out of place then. Hmm. Um, although they didn't then go and have topless women or naked women or even Orion slave girls to a certain degree hmm. um, because they were eating butterflies and not you know, trying to, chat up the men and get off with them and all that so it was a slightly better um scene in that respect because it could have quite easily have just been dancers you know very erotic dancers with skim skimply clad or even naked shown from behind or whatever mm. um they could have quite easily have done that and i think a lot of the writers probably would have wanted to do that say <laughs> hey let's be out there let's make the you know, bold decisions and all that no, crap you don't treat women like that let's have it a bit more respect between you know uh I know they're trying to show the dirty, dark side of the universe. Uh, the better, there are just as easier ways to do that without having um, you know, naked women on the screen. TOS did it perfectly. There was a few places they went to there that you know were, were unsavoury, should we say? And, and you know, the, you can treat you know things better than that. So I was a bit disappointed when the scene started, but actually when it when it finished, I thought that was actually quite good because it was treated as an alien thing where they were eating the butterflies. Yeah. Are those real butterflies? You know, it was uh, <laughs> the tongues coming out. You think it? Oh, you, you can't find that sexy, really. <laughs> there you go. Um, oh, there, I'm sure there's one guy at the back. He absolutely loves it. Mm, but there we go. Mm. Um, but it looked like Malcolm was going that way too. But uh, no, I, I I agree. It's that you can see that there is this sea change that they want to try and introduce sexy Trek, but this scene doesn't feel like they've gone too far. Um, so I completely agree with you. You know, uh, today it probably would have been, you know, uh, in your face, very scantily clad, and you know, you would have had a, you know, a stripper put one leg around the pole, then a second leg, and then a third leg, and you know, <laughs> who knows where it would have gone after that. Um, 
But um, we get another scene, and again, it's one of those things I'm chalking up to why I don't like Trip. And it's uh, where he tries to intervene with the mother and the child. And the child is holding the mask, not fighting off the mother. So even to first eyes, when I was first watching the episode, it didn't look like it was a struggle for the child. It seemed obvious to me. And yet Trip seems to have a problem with it. And even though T'Pol explicitly says in her brief try not to stand out try not to get involved we're on one mission stick with it he just can't listen he doesn't listen to his captain and bumps into the ship he constantly argues with T'Pol when they're trying to work and uh, improve the sensors and for a third time he is not listening to, to T'Pol or the mission brief and is trying to start a fight with a mother and child um, it's another reason why I don't like Trip it's my traitred as I'm going to be calling it. Um, uh, any other thoughts on, on the, what was going on there? Yeah, I, it, was a, it was a confusing scene because, like you say, the, whether it was just the acting or whether it was um, deliberately done that to try and um, put us off slightly. The, to me, it was if you've got a mask like that, then the, the child is trying to breathe with the mask. Yeah. Um, I can understand why they're saying, well, he's breathing without the mask. You know, why does he need the mask? Well... We get, we get asthma on, on I know we, we've got rid, you know, by this time of course we've got rid of a lot of uh, medical ailments and things but surely you would think well that must be helping him breathe you know, you know or do something to help him breathe because he seems to be okay when he's got it on he's coughing mm. when he's when he hasn't got it on and he's yeah. and but Tripp says it's the other way around he said you're suffocating him what <laughs> why would any mother do that in public let alone you know, why would they do it anyway in public come on I mean, what was annoying me was uh, was yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm getting old now. My kids are grown up, so when I hear toddlers or even young young kids like that, it can get a bit annoying hearing them crying or the parents aren't paying attention to them, so they're being annoying or whatever. So I so I was finding that more than anything else that this in the background there was this coughing and you know, whatever crying and going on in the background and yeah you'd want to go up and say look can you do something about this you know what's happening can I help it would be a better thing to say hmm. um, rather than just go will you shut up and just stop strangling that kid you know, <laughs> so no it didn't it the scene was confusing to start with and then didn't work at the end of it so and uh, like you say it makes you trip even more. <laughs> Even more. I should have like a dinger or something going off every time that uh, I get more evidence to that case. Um, but I, I, I promise you, uh, listeners, if you love Trip and everything, don't turn off. I do swing around. I did come to like Trip by the end, so it's coming. It's coming. you just got to figure out when it's going to happen. Um, but Traitrid is going to be something for at least this season, I think. Um, there's also another thing that I think I should get another dinger for, and Archer gets kidnapped for the first time in Enterprise history. Um, the first captain of a starship and is now the first time he's been kidnapped. Uh, and he gets interrogated in possibly the nicest way you would ever get interrogated. Uh, any thoughts on just generally now him being uh, abducted and uh, his interrogation with a kiss? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the first time it happened, so we don't we don't know that there's going to be any more after this uh, until later on. But so, yeah, it, it makes sense that they're going to take him and, and they're going to question him and they're going to yeah, find out what's happening. And it turned out to, in the end that they're the good guys, so it's not too bad. But you definitely, definitely need to have a dinger and keep a track on how many of these <laughs> things there are. So this is number one. Um, number one ding ding number uh, one please um so yeah it's um yeah, it, it makes sense to me at, the, at this moment in time yeah he gets abducted and, and 
nice interrogation technique, I must say. Uh, but yeah. then a bit of a reveal. You know, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did like how he says, I've, that's never happened before. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> As if he did that. That's it would great. have been so much better if he said, oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> this happened last time. <laughs> it was at the 602 Club. Oh, my God. Why did I drink all those vodkas, those Jaeger bombs? Oh. Right, yeah, I, mean, I was talking to this beautiful girl, and then I sobered up. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice uh, effect, nice reveal. Um, good little scene, I thought. Hmm. Yeah, it was. It, it kind of, it felt Star Trekky, like because yeah, and, it, and it moved the plot on as well. It was. Uh, yes. it, it wasn't just a thing. It was a plot device to move. You know, to say, hey, you've got the right people. We've sussed you out. We realise that you are a good guys. You need to come with us. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. Yeah, it's you know you've already established that the, the bad guy is Silic, so you're going to start thinking, oh, all Sulaban are bad. Uh, you know, in the same way that Klingons were all bad when it was the TOS era, and in TNG it was the Romulans or it was the Borg. Um, but straight away we've already found out, well, no, there's divides. There's a good side, there's a bad side, there are good and bad people in all of these uh, aspects. Um, that there are perhaps Suleban we can trust, we can work with, and perhaps maybe they're not all bad and they're being misled by someone some future person and we get introduced to the temporal cold war so we're getting our exposition as well and like you say it drives it forward unfortunately she doesn't last very long and there's a fight phase of fight and uh they get uh, all the way back up to the roof uh, archer you know gets to be a bit gung-ho he you know, has the phases going out blazed glory gets shot in the leg uh, and gets dragged back to uh, the shuttle pod uh, any other thoughts on these? Yeah, scenes? I thought it was disappointing that um, that she she died so quick. I thought, oh great, we'll get you know this is a good guy. We'll get a bit of use out of her. We'll you know, and then next minute she's dead. Oh, oh great! Oh come on, we've just found an ally, and straight away she's died. And and all she's done is really sort of moved moved us from one scene to another. You know, she she's just been that little middle bit. Um, so okay, we, you know, you need to be doing this now. This is the reason why. Off you go. You know, expedition, expedition, expedition. So um, yeah, and the, I do like the um, the gunfight uh, as they get into the, the shuttle. <laughs> the typical oh, I've fallen over. The captain's down. You know, somebody's <laughs> got to save him. And where, where's the ship? It's this way, it's that way. Yeah, it was a bit, um, bit elongated. I think. I mean, I think uh, if it was just a single episode, it would have gone a lot quicker. Um, uh, but I do like the shootout. I like the um, you know the whole they see the ship go off and they follow it and all that. So it's it, it's it works well. Yeah, it it kind of reminded me of every paintball game I've ever been in. Like you know, oh he's shot, no he's shot, oh he's down, oh, oh there we go, oh, it was game's really, over. Yeah, it was very much that you know, with your hand over the top there, firing the phaser, trying to you know, keep him down, keep him down. <laughs> it's, it's, it is very uh, typical um, action American action film, isn't it? Where they just throw lead at everything, you know. To, you know just keep firing, spray it and just hope you hit something yeah i've ne- i have i have never seen it in the whole of star trek 700 odd episodes of hours of, of star trek i have never seen anybody run out of phaser that's very true you know when you, you see true. you see obviously action films they start shooting and they you know, say oh yeah go reload reload and they take out the magazine put you one in this you never see anybody go oh my battery's out i need a new battery and, and start again. <laughs> if they can fire a phaser that quick, why not just put it over the top? You go, <laughs> you know, just wave it around like a wand. You know, it'll decapitate anybody that's out there. 
just wave it around a bit and shoot everything, <laughs> and, and, and that will cover people. Don't just go. Pew, pew, pew. It, well, we're Starfleet. Have, have we a, give them a sporting chance. Exactly, you know? yeah. Shoot, have a chat. Shoot, have a chat. Shoot again. Cover me. Oh, come on. And then stand up in the middle of nowhere and get shot. Yeah, the bad guys get, get up. What? The first thing that you, you, you do in, in any real, paint, especially paintball situation, is you don't go running towards the paintball people who are firing back at you. You hide behind a tree like the scared person or hide behind a rock or something. Like the sensible Hoshi that you are. Exactly. That's what you do. You hide yes. behind the tree. Uh, we get now, I think, the facepalm sexy trek moment. We've gone back to the ship and it's the first decon scene. Uh, do we want to talk about this? It's just, it's so unbelievably gratuitous. Well, just watching this now and. Even then, I felt uncomfortable watching it. Well, you, you, you see, you saw it when it was, when it was on the first time around. Yeah, uh, I couldn't at the time, so I, I, I watched it in about 2012, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. So a good ten years after it, it, it had aired, and it was still uncomfortable then. And yeah. I watched it again, obviously in preparation for this episode, and I'm still not happy with it because, to me, it's not really Star Trek. It's, yeah. it, it's you've got. Obviously, a, a very attractive uh, Jolene Blaylock, yes. who is there really as as eye candy. Although you could argue uh, I, she's not my type, but she, yeah, I can see she's very attractive, very yeah. uh, pretty, yeah. even with the ears and the hair and all that. Um, and then you've got um, obviously Connor Trenere, who's you know decent build on him, good looking fella, and you're going to put these two together and and you know rub oil over each other. What? Why? <laughs> Uh, and they've got to do this every time. Yeah. Oh, so we're going to see more of this. This isn't. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of sexy stuff in Star Trek. It, it was never like that originally, and that's I'm I'm an old fuddy duddy when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit of kissing between characters, whatever. That's fine. Uh, but really, do we need to see all of this flesh? And I think it's just written by you know, teenage boys who <laughs> want to get off on something. It's it, it's not a comfortable scene. And the funny thing is. They hate each other, and they're really rubbing this stuff all over them because they hate each other. But they've got to do this, and uh, you know. so it's a bit, a bit of a weird scene. I don't like the idea of it as a decontamination thing. Surely they can do better than that. If it had been blocked, like how I try and put sun cream on my children, I think I would have believed the scene a lot better. Just slapping it on the cheeks and just yeah. talking to get off. Um, I would have believed it a lot more. But I like the concept of having a decon room that, you know, space travel isn't safe yet. That there is, you know, that there would be some gel or something. But, you know, have it like, a, a, you know, the back to tanks in Star Wars. You know, you've got the, you know, Luke Skywalker sitting in there in his nappy. You know, have them like in there. And then they're having this whole like conversation with the tubes in their mouth going, <laughs> and there's subtitles along the bottom. Yeah, at least something, just something stupid. But I like the idea that they had to decon. I just don't like the blocking of the scene and how they're using. Uh, obvious sexual moments um, whilst there's a decent conversation going on. Let me hear my decent conversation. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, just, it, was, it was just a bit too over the top for me. It was, uh, yeah. you know, kind of concentrating closely on the areas they were rubbing and all this. You could have just done that from a distant shot and have done with it, you know. Yeah, get the paintball guns and spray it on each other. That'd be fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Who's no, down uh, for goodness sake? <laughs> 
<laughs> just turn on the hose and they just shower. Shoot. What's wrong with like you know yes. walking into a cubicle a shower scene? We've had it in Mash. Mash was in the 1970s. You had shower scene. She, bleh, shower scenes then with male yes. and female uh, people that was filmed uh, respectfully. And yeah. I think you could do exactly the same thing. Have a shower, for goodness sake. Mm. Don't you gel and that. Yeah, whenever you get the you know the the Vietnam movies and you've got the shower cubicles on the barracks, you have some really great scenes in some of those movies where the characters can't physically touch each other. You know, if they are exposed to whatever this spore was, it would make more sense for them to be separate and then they come together at the end when they've had this realisation that they should be working together. That would be more effective mm. and have these screens to maintain the modesty but have this uh, the conversation reflect the blocking of the scene. It would make so much more sense. Um, and yes, Jolene Blaylock is an immensely attractive woman. And yes, Connor Trenier is a fantastic male specimen. And it's probably another reason why I, I hate the character because he looks like Connor Trenier. Um, cause Contra- Connor Trenier is fantastic. I love him in Stargate Atlantis when he plays Michael and I love him in this show as he plays the character. I just hate the character, just to be clear. Just so there's no more hatred emails coming my way from any trip lovers who are listening to this show. Um, but yes, this scene does bother me and will always bother me. And I don't think there's ever a way around it. I feel uncomfortable watching this scene with my wife in the room, let alone my kids. <laughs> we move on and uh, Osmotic Eel has just come back out again and it's been uh, sucked onto uh, Archer's leg. We find out that Topol has come round, that their conversation in the decom room uh, was effective. And uh, we now get our first Starlog, our Captain Starlog. And he says that it's April 16th, 2151. So we actually get our year as well. Uh, so it's actually five days short, as we're recording this, of 130 years in the future. So pretty wow. good. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice round figure. Um, they've been tracking the ships for 10 hours, and we're just about to figure out what's going on. Paul has come round. Archer's a bit confused by it, so he's going to be sitting in his quarters doing this log. And every now and then he pauses the log. And this is the advantage of my device. Uh, anyone listening to this uh, podcast knows that I have a special device from the godlike beings who left it to me. And uh, I, it means I can watch history that isn't recorded. This is fantastic. Um, and he's talking to Porthos. And this is something I want to start. Uh, the Porthos podcasts, as we're going through Enterprise... What exactly would Porthos say about the scenes? Pause for thought with Porthos. Uh, any thoughts on what Porthos is thinking right now? Well, considering the animals like that wouldn't really get on too well with travel, I think you'd be saying, oh, I'm feeling rough. <laughs> Sorry, that was too obvious. <laughs> Input, rim shot, sound effect. There we go. <laughs> And uh, it's a dog's life. Uh, you know. Can't, no, I, I think it's a bit unfair to take a dog into space, really. I think it's, it's walk around the ship for goodness sake. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's so he's so cute. He's unbelievably cute. He's obviously going to get the the best listenership if he were to start the unofficial <laughs> Porthos podcasts, which were you know relaying back to the canine kind back on Earth, and maybe canines around the universe who want to know what's going on on the Enterprise mm. ship. Uh, you know, Porthos, the, I like that, the Porthos pod, podcast, A yeah. Dog's Tale. A Dog's Tale, yeah. Every episode from the dog's point of view. Uh, the man gave me cheese, this is wonderful, it's fantastic. <laughs> 
Um, there was a nice little uh, thing in the background of the scene. Um, there's a portrait of the Wright brothers, uh, which we'll see in later episodes. But I don't remember seeing the statue of Zephyrin Cochrane with the arms stretched out. I've never noticed it before. But in the background, Zephyrin Cochrane's statue is there. And um, given that we've just seen James Cromwell earlier in the scene, and because we are recording this week where the first flight on Mars took place... It was just a, an odd thing that I just noticed that um, it was nice little detail in the background that from the Wright brothers all the way to Zephyr and Cochrane, there is these references in the background. Um, any thoughts on um, Archer's quarters? Right? Because we do get to see it quite a lot throughout Enterprise, but all those background hints, the little sketches in the background and things like that. I must admit, um, the, the, uh, the Wright brothers, uh, uh, first of all, no relation. Um, <laughs> Are uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't see that. I mean, it was all in the background, and I I just totally missed it because I'm just too busy looking at the actors, to be honest. Uh, didn't so I didn't really pay too much attention to his to, uh, to his uh, to his quarters. And funny enough, it's it's only probably about the fourth time I've seen this episode <laughs> because obviously I saw it the first time. I've watched it again, uh, watched it again for this podcast, and I've I've seen it on a, a, a another rewatch, um, which failed. So <laughs> I, I haven't really seen this episode too many times what I need to do is, is look at it in the background and study it more um, rather than just watching the characters but no, I didn't spot that to be honest yeah. it's it's a lovely little sort of moment especially considering when we're recording and the fact that it is supposed to be the first ship and this is the pilot episode that they've clearly been put there by a set designer who wanted to make all these references and it's just a nice little thing that I'd never noticed before um we're now going to move on to the action set pieces as we sort of really steamroll to the end of the episode. Uh, there's uh, lots of moments where they track down the Suleban ships. We see the Helix ship as well, which I think is a pretty neat little design. Thinking on that, just you know, the idea of this modular space station come spaceship. Uh, any thoughts on the sort of Suleban ships? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting concept. We've not seen that before mm. uh, in any episodes of Star Trek, I don't think. It was funny that we the um, they managed to get one of these things, one of these little um, pods, and learn how to fly it to a certain degree. <laughs> um, push that, push that, and the way they're trying to teach um, Trip how to fly it as well. They say, right now, what's this do? How do I do this? What button do I press for that? <laughs> and he's getting it all wrong. But he's basically saying, but I'll learn how to fly it and be fine. Just get me in there, I'll sort it out. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. <laughs> How well did that go last time you flew this <laughs> shuttle? Well, he didn't have a laptop with him, so there's that, you know. Yeah, virt- virtual flying—that's what he means. That's it, yeah, yeah. But no, I thought it, the, the idea of the ship was very was was very good because you can you can add more to it and you can take some off. Although, if you uh, dock against the ship and then somebody docks behind you, how how do, how you, do you get through? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got. To, is it etiquette? You have to go through one to get to the other. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they can sort of slither next to each other and get past each other. They don't that's have to true, walk. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, just just squeeze through. Yeah, well, uh, the one's walking on the ceiling and the other's walking on the floor. So you can just... <laughs> They've all got sweet spots, so they can just go yes. any way they like. It's all for. Um, uh, but I I really like this action scene because it is so reminiscent of submarine warfare because we've gone into the atmosphere of another ship or another planet to see all these ships um, and there's depth charges going off around the Enterprise as they're trying to detect them once uh, Archer and Tripp are on board and they're trying to rescue Clang um, 
Uh, any thoughts on sort of the submarine warfare aspect of it? Well, well since you brought this up, I'm going to ask you a question that um, I was going to ask after the podcast, but I'll ask you this now. So, so the, it's like you say, it's a submarine effect, isn't it, mm-hmm. when the depth charging things? And of course, as with every submarine movie, as soon as the depth charge goes off anywhere near it, something explodes in the in the ship. You know, a panel falls apart with a, there's an explosion, there's flames, there's sparks going everywhere. In the submarine movies, and I've just seen an episode of The Unit, which I'm watching at the moment, which is a special forces, American special forces program, um, again, back in the same sort of period, uh, 2000 and early 2000. Um, there's this episode where they're in the submarine, and it's an old submarine. You know, that's the idea, is that they're trying to use an old submarine to get past all of the modern-day sonar and stuff. Mm. And uh, they get death-charged, and, and as the ship's going lower and lower and lower, and of course the pressure's getting greater and greater and greater, you get the squirt of water coming out of a pipe. <laughs> and somebody just turns the valve. And the water stops. And then a bit later on, they're going a bit down. There's another explosion of water. Another valve gets turned off. What the hell? Is this... Can you ask any of your guys in the dockyard who have ever been in a submarine? What, what explodes and where does the water come from? Because surely that's a pipe. And secondly, why do you always have taps that can magically turn that water off? <laughs> It's, it's, like, it's in tremendous forethought that the, ta- the, the tap is right by the bit that would actually burst. That is fantastic. I mean, it could be that it's the tap, that, you know, the, the one side of the tap that's you know, burst and you know, you're turning off. That's fair enough. But why the tap? That's inside. <laughs> and if it's outside, it's cracking the hole and bringing water in. What the hell is it doing? That, that the tap switch it off. Well, before there, was, the... before there was ODM relays, you know, that's, that's how we just you know, remove the water around. That's it. <laughs> And what is this water doing moving around the ship? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, again, it is very much um, like you say, a submarine uh, thing, which we have seen before in Star Trek uh, in yeah. the original se- series, where the whole episode was based on a, a submarine type chase. Um, so I do, I, and it's you could say it's submarine, you could say it's anti-aircraft. It depends mm. on mm. which way they're coming from. But yes, it's. Uh, the fact that they stay still and say well, we will be fine if we don't move, and then if they get too close, they have to move, and then well, so all if you if you get too close, and you move, then there's nothing stopping you moving back to where you were before because they were saying <laughs> if we move, we'll lose we'll lose the captain. You won't know where to come. Well, move, and then the sun bombarding <laughs> you somewhere else. Then move back again to where you were. That's what's... <laughs> It took me a while to find out where you've gone. I mean, if if it's based on sound, and because we're in an atmosphere, yes, we're not breaking physics by you know being in a, a vacuum. So you know there, there's sound that travels, so it would give their position away. They've clearly got probes on board. They've got torpedoes, things like that. They could send fake decoys off into different areas to send you know sound signals, and they could have made it. A bit more warfare. If um, you know a navy man is on board or someone, someone manning the weapons perhaps might suggest this. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll call him uh, Mr. Reed for now. Uh, could just maybe think back to some of his naval training. Maybe that would have been a good idea. Um, because yes, I do a lot of tours on board a submarine, and uh, there's a lot of talk about how did you evade the enemy? How do you get out? Um, the submarine that I'm on is an exceptionally quiet piece of kit for its time. One of the quietest of the Cold War because it was uh, on electric batteries. A diesel engine that would charge it up when you're in friendly waters. Then when you go into um, murkier places, places you're not supposed to be, you switch to the batteries and you are electrically powered from then on for a good day or so, depending on how much you're using the engines. And then you have to pull back into friendly waters to recharge again or at least come up to a depth 
that will allow you to vent all of the diesel back out. Um, there are ways of evading people and tricks of the trade. Toad arrays were a thing as well, where you would you would um, release this long plank of uh, metal with um, uh, little devices on the end that would give out sound pulses as if the submarine were 50 foot behind itself. So it you know people will release the depth charges far far away from you, and then you evade by going to batteries and switching to batteries. There are so many things they could have done, but no, they st- stood still <laughs> and waited. <laughs> For these massive depth charges to come and explode, um, just just bizarre, bizarre tactics. But the, uh, and they kept firing up these depth charges and, and you know exploding them and saying you know, the, the, we can find them that way. And yet they had all of these little pods flying around all over the place trying to find them. All they had to do was look out the window. <laughs> Damn it! Why didn't they think of that? And they've got better eyes. I mean, it's, it's yes. established in the episode. Uh, um, I do like the little seatbelt gag that Hoshi does say, you know, uh, can you think about maybe asking them to install some seatbelts? Yeah, it'd be great. Um, but we do get Clang back. We do then uh, see them uh, evade uh, the Sulaban, uh, but not before we get a nice kick-ass action sequence with some time dilation between Archer and Silic uh, in the time room, uh, where Silic it, you know, discharges his weapon, but we see it two seconds delayed, so it gives him time to slow out of the way. Um, but for some reason, it causes a feedback amplified wave and it knocks Sulek on his. I don't know how this works. It doesn't make any sense, um, but it's fun to watch. Uh, any thoughts on the action scene of the fight, the punch up? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was good because he kept disappearing and then reappearing, and you know, he was just playing with him uh, to start with. And then um, when he, when he shoots the gun and it it fires back at himself, I was the, my first thought was, oh, that was a silic bang. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, rim shot there again. <laughs> but um, it was good. I like I like the scene. It was it was um, it was quite uh, it was well filmed because obviously at some points they were moving slowly, some points they were moving quickly, and and you know timing everything it makes it it was a totally different fight sequence than you would expect you know you could have quite easily have him appear right in front of archer give him a bop on the nose disappear again and then turn around the other way and bop him on the the back of the head or whatever you could, you could have played it for laughs in that respect uh, but it was actually played quite well you know the um, you know the, the the jeopardy between the two you know who's going to get the gun and it's, there's no obvious way it's going to be. Well, he can stretch an arm out even longer and get the gun, but you know he didn't get a chance to do that. So it was, yeah, it was a clever little fight uh, sequence considering the uh, the inadequacies of a human compared to the uh, the Sulaban. That, uh, it, it's a nice little yeah. moment where you see the hand double flip over itself to then grab oh. the gun to then pull it back. Um, that it plays into this idea that they've been genetically modified and they've handed over their freedoms to this future guy for these modifications and it played straight into the fight that the only way Silic could get the gun was to bend his hand backwards uh, it's no way disgusting at all <laughs> yes <laughs> it makes it awkward when you pick it up you don't know which way you've got it <laughs> <laughs> he forgets to reset his fist and it just flies yes. everywhere <laughs> it, it does what you were saying earlier where you just keep it firing for ages where he's just flying yes. all over the place yes <laughs> um 
we see um, we see the slow mo fight. Everything's fine. Archer then gets beamed back, and it comes back to what you were saying about the jeopardy using the transporter. We get that look on Archer's face of like, "Oh my God, what did you do to me?" And he's sort of patting himself down, which is a nice idea. I did, you know, we've never seen it before, and he's not sure about it, so he's patting himself, as I think everyone would to make sure everything was there. Even checked his bits. I did notice that there was one moment, like through the sort of editing of the scene, that he does reach down, but it half cuts <laughs> away. Um, but um, any more on sort of the action scene of the rescue? I thought that it was excellent the way because a for a start they've, they've beamed him. They've never beamed anybody before. He's on the run when mm. they beam him, so they beam him somebody who is moving, which is even <laughs> harder, and they manage to get him up in one piece. As he arrives, oh my god, what have you done to me? In other words, Sam has just suddenly appeared in <laughs> Archer's body. And he's patting himself down, going, who am I today? This week, I am, I've leapt into this body. I am Archer. I am in a spaceship. Right. And this is the beginning of one of the longest episodes of Quantum Leap you'll ever see. <laughs> that's brilliant. That no, That's headcanon now. That is exactly what happened. Yep. If, if it doesn't only... matter what happens from now on. It's all a Quantum Leap episode. <laughs> if only he'd actually said, oh boy, as he checked himself, and it's like, everything's fine. <laughs> it needed that. It needed that. Because <laughs> everyone knew. Everyone knew he'd been cast as the captain because we knew him from that other show. Exactly. It would have been a great little like wink to the camera. A little nod to it would have been fine. <laughs> Although we'll, take, we'll talk about it another time. Or even if he'd had his, um, his compatriot with him, you know, at Very some true. point, maybe... Very yeah. true. Yes, exactly. You know, discussing who this uh, this Silic was and what was going on. You've got a eighty three percent chance of starting the Federation at this point. Um, yeah. It's not looking That's good. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe we'll meet him in another episode. I'm sure we will at some point. Yeah. Absolutely. We finally get to Kronos and uh, Kronos, Kronos, Kronos. Um, we deliver the the Klingon as we've said before. It's never quite resolved as to whether this was a good thing or not because they did disrespect his wishes, and the Klingon does say he's prepared to die, but we never actually find out what happened to Klang. Maybe, to... maybe today wasn't a good day to die. Ooh, maybe, maybe. Mm. I like the idea that they they put the message in DNA that that yeah. he was a, a courier who didn't know what his message was. And um, this will be something that gets called back all the way into TNG of Klingons using DNA as a code um, uh, moving device, you know, um, uh, unfortunately for the bad guys in the TNG episode. But it's a nice little callback to the possibilities of moving information inside the body of a person without knowing what the message actually is. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they find it in the DNA, but of course, DNA is massive and it's hugely long. To to you know, to inject him with it is one thing, to, but then to try and find it, it could be anywhere in his body. <laughs> I mean, it could be literally anywhere. It's part of it's part of his DNA, for goodness' sake. Um, it's yeah, to 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 suddenly you know, like to take a drop of blood out and go, hey, there it is. Well, that's pretty good going. <laughs> It's that one really nice bit of blood that stays in the hand and never gets pumped around the entire exactly. body. Yeah, exactly. nice and easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think they, yeah, I think they might, they may have scanned it or something to find out what it was. But yes, it was in the, it was in the hand. Was it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. <clears throat> um, <laughs> we go back to the Enterprise and uh, uh, Travis says, "You know, where to now, sir?" 
Uh, we've found out that we've still got more of a mission to come. Archer is going to ask for T'Pol to stay, and uh, we are being given the go-ahead by Forrest and Starfleet to not come back home, but to go off on a nice, brand new, however long, mission and uh, explore the, the universe, explore the galaxy. And we can't be afraid of the wind, to call back to two episodes ago and the advice from his father. As you said, as you called it, you knew it was going to come back. Um, uh, any thoughts on where they finish? You know, we uh, don't have replicators at this point, do we? Nope. <clears throat> That's a bugger. I've only packed for a couple of weeks for this <laughs> mission. <laughs> and now we're off on five years. Oh, come on. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't ready for that. And their last stop off was uh, Kronos, so you know they, they hardly picked up any food that's worth eating from there either, exactly. unless live worms are going to be a big thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought it was um, you know they were all a little bit too keen for my liking. <laughs> you know, they said, you know um, Reed was there grinning like a you know like a baby. That, oh yes, we're off. Yeah, we've we've passed the test. We're grinning. great. We're going to be going you know all over the place. This is fantastic. You've only got one overall, mate. <laughs> that's what you came with, because you're only out here for a, you know, a quick trip there and back, and then that's it, you're done. No, while you're out there, stay out there. Oh, man, I didn't say goodbye to my kids. You know, I do. The, you know, the wife's going to be mental when, the, when she finds out she's going to look after the kids for the next five years. You know, it's just, no, no, yeah, strange. But, yeah, they could have come back home first and then said, well, actually, now you can go off on your thing. Now we're starting. They could have yeah. restocked. They could have been uh, ready to go. This, they seem to be yeah, out in the middle of nowhere with not enough food. <laughs> oh, food. That's one thing I was going to say. We didn't mention it, but there was a, um, a, a captain's meal. Oh, yes, early on, yeah. Um, it's one of my the worst scenes in the whole thing. I hate it, and I hate it every time they do it because, and this is you saying, saying about um, disliking uh, trip. Yeah. They obviously get steak, which really annoys the Vulcan because they're all um, vegetarian, vegetarians, yeah. which is fair enough. Um, but he gets this huge piece of steak, and he's and he does what every American does. Sorry, <laughs> Americans, but you really pee me off with this. Cuts it into bits, gets his fork, rams the thing into his mouth, and then says. Yeah, of course, today we were doing this and we were looking at it. Oh, for goodness sake, stop eating with your mouth open. open. Stop talking with your mouth full. Don't eat with just the fork. You've got two hands and two implements. Use them both. I, yeah, I'm kicking myself that we didn't do this earlier because yeah, I actually I dislike and love that scene for the exact same reason: the fact yeah. that he's chewing aloud whilst trying to defend humanity as coming forward and further in its in its life um, yeah. to a Vulcan who has expertly cut a breadstick and has managed to place it onto a fork and place it into her mouth effort, effortlessly. And he's there just, you know, gnawing away. So, yeah, uh, all right, ding is another uh, traitorid scene. Absolutely. 100% with you on that one. Oh, it's horrible. I hate any scene in any film and any TV series where the guy's cutting up his food while, whilst he's being asked a question, and then as soon as he, the, you know, the question is asked, he goes, well, <clears throat> food in the mouth, well, what is it like this? What they do is... Well, you waited. You waited until you asked the question. Cannot can Americans not talk without having food in the mouths or something? What is it? Every TV series and every film they do it. If only Reed had been in the room as well. It's like 
With your mouth closed, Commander. <laughs> yes. With your mouth closed. Thank you very much. With his elbows off the table as he's Absolutely, leaning. Yes. Drinking his port. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Moving from the fish fork into the, the day fork, and then, yeah, as <laughs> yes. he's going through. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the, thinking back to the fact they don't have any supplies, it is surprising we don't get to see Chef uh, at this point. And he is just sort of saying, uh, excuse me, you what? Um, we've only packed for a week. Come on. Um, I've only got, I've got mashed potato going off already. Come on. It's, it's horrible. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see the chef at some point. I'm sure we will. Yeah. I don't know who that might be. Um, uh, I'm sure he's very good at cooking, uh, scrambled eggs. Um, hopefully before the end of the uh, the season (laughs) series. Well, we've located the episode and I think we're going to go on to the ratings criteria because we're coming up on two hours already. This is pretty good. Um, double episode. Nice. So our consequences, our continuity, uh, there hasn't been time travel or there has been time travel. Um, from this episode, are there any consequences or continuity errors that will affect the rest of Star Trek? I think, like you said uh, earlier on, I think, yes, this is somebody from the future that has inadvertently brought in the humans maybe a bit quicker than you know that they wanted to so there is an effect we don't know what it is because we see the effect and not what it would have been without the effect uh, whereas the other person would have seen both effects he would have seen his original and then his messing around with it um, so to us there is no effect this is the normal that we live in um, but there has obviously obviously been an effect Mm, absolutely yeah um it is that one line that really prompts it because by saying that we weren't planning on introducing the humans so early it does make you think that there must have been an original timeline there's no suggestion of a time loop here there's no reset just yet that might happen you know seasons down the line in enterprise but we haven't seen any resolution to that yet so i yeah i completely agree um consequences and continuity we are dealing with a different timeline to what we've seen prior, uh, as we've seen Star Trek before, but perhaps different to what it should have been. Um, so that's the consequences and continuity. Uh, A, alterations, expansions, things you would have liked to have seen changed about the episode. Uh, yes, there were a couple of things which I was thinking of, and I've kind of forgotten them. <laughs> um, certainly the, the, the decontamination scene should have been changed through a shower scene. Um, there was... Oh, there was something else, and I forgot what it was. I'd certainly take out the <laughs> to give better eating manners. <laughs> to clo- um, close Trip's mouth. There we go. That's the one. Yes, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, a bit more involvement of the um, the Suleiman female, whose name I've forgotten. Yes, uh, Serin. Yes. Yes, yeah, Serin. Yeah, I think she could have been a bit more instrumental in the getaway of uh, Archer. The, the thing. I think I think they missed a trick there. She was killed too quickly. Uh, she could have been left behind defending the ship as it took off or something and then died in a heroic way rather than just running off and getting shot. Mm. Um, yeah, um, yeah, there was probably a couple of other things which uh, have skipped my mind for the minute, but uh, only minimal stuff, really. Mm. Um, I think character-wise, everybody was was fine in their character. You know, the characters were the characters, mm. whether you liked them or not. I think they were, they were correct uh, yeah. for what they needed to be. Um and this is only the first episode or two of the series. I mean, people can change, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, closing trip's mouth definitely. We're agreed on that one. And um, for me, 
The episode has great pace, and I do enjoy it as a pilot episode. And for me, yes, just like you, it's up there with the, the best ones. For uh, for this and maybe DS9, I think, are my favourites. Because DS9, even though it's a bit more um, aloof uh, with its you know storylines, when you watch the entirety of DS9, you see that every plot point was there at the beginning. And they just ran with it, and they kept it almost consistent the whole way through with a few things that had to change here or there where we lost characters. But essentially, what you got carried through. And it's the same here. The characters you know, are slightly more hyper. And they will change. Uh, some of them um, I'll even get to like by the end of uh, Enterprise. Um, but we will get to see aspects of these characters carry on throughout the entirety of Enterprise. Um, and it's nice to see. It's nice to see that the mystery box, in some way, will get dealt with and that the characters will change because of it. Um, so yeah, I, I fail to see where it could be expanded or altered in any way, and I don't really want to change it because it is a good start. Uh, Serene, yeah, I would have liked to have seen her maybe, maybe come back. You know, she did die, but because of whatever genetic enhancement she did have, um, she's able to regenerate, and she came back, and she would be the ally that you say that you know throughout the first season she's at least the informant who helps them out. You know maybe she's hobbling with a walking stick because of the time she got shot in the pilot episode, and we kind of have her come back. Um, again, as I said in the first episode of this season, it there's always that idea when they first developed Enterprise of building the reason to go to space over an entire first season and having it sort of Earth-centric or perhaps having the crew scattered and Archer is putting them together. It sounds like a really good idea. And there are parts of me that think, you know, should this have been at least three or four episodes of the building towards the launch of the Enterprise? And that launch sequence with Zephyrin Cochran would have been a really massive mid-season crescendo, you know, the, mo the moment we go into space. But because the pacing is so good, because it's delivered, I'm not going to regret the you know, the, the road untravelled, the long road untravelled, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to say anything more on expansions for there. So, next recommendations. Um, recommendations to Star Trek fans. Is this episode essential to Star Trek fans? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's everything. It's the first... Uh... Uh, first time you see this crew, this ship, um, it, it, it's a great uh, backstory for the Vulcans and, and you know that their involvement or lack of involvement in uh, trying to get the humans off to a good start. It's brilliant, uh, a brilliant bit of canon uh, because they you know they've written they've backwritten this if you like. Mm. This this is obviously set where we know it's set in history compared to what we've seen uh, in the past, but at the same time. It's filling in all the gaps, and it's it's making sense of, uh, to a certain degree, of uh, so far anyway, mm. of of what is to come. So, I yes, it is essential to to definitely to Star Trek fans to watch it because it it's as as with most pilots, obviously, but <laughs> um, it it sets up so much. Yeah, yeah, all the character work is there. It's not like the pilot came along and then they realised actually no, we want to do something different with Hoshi or Travis or Malcolm, and they're a completely different character by the second episode, which you see with a lot of TV shows where they they even rewrite a completely different character. And we saw that in the Cage going into TOS. You know, they completely got rid of half the crew and you know replaced the the captain as well. Uh, but in this one. You see every element that is about to play out before you for the next four seasons. Um, so yeah, it, it is essential. 
Um, I know it caused a lot of controversy when it first came out. You know, this goes against canon when it first came out. You know, where was the picture of this Enterprise in uh, the motion picture when uh, Ilea is looking at all the previous Enterprises? And I remember those conversations going on. But it's such a good pilot episode. I, it has to be in there. Yeah, it's always the same. They say, oh, well, what about you know, the, the ships you know, look you know, better than the, the ones that, you know, came after it in some respects you know think, well, it's all been dealt with in the books it's fine <laughs> <laughs> there's always some other explanation yeah. you know the, the picture of the nxo one was round the corner of the rec room when ilea was you know doing matt decker's whatever touch game <laughs> thing it was you know it just you didn't see it on the camera it's fine um for non-star trek fans do you feel that this is a good entry point or part of the uh, brainwashing kit to get people into star trek uh, yes, I think it is because it's again it, it sets the scene early, you know, early for the, the next seasons to come. So if people wanted to see it, they've got this bit of background history that they could use. And again, because it's a pilot, it, it's introducing the characters at a good, steady rate, and it's not too quick. It doesn't assume that you know everything about Star Trek. I mean, this is great because transporters are just being introduced. Uh, they're still using shuttles to go up and down to the planet, so it's it's a nice little beginning. Rather than jumping in at um, t- TNG, let's say, and having a transporter straight away and going, oh, what's that all about then? You get introduced to it uh, here. So it introduces a lot of, of, of stuff early on. So to a non-Star Trek person, I think this would be a good starting point um, for any of the other seasons, really. Mm. Yep. Uh, I agree. It's because you haven't established everything because uh you know not everyone knows what a red alert will be what a photon torpedo will be how the transporter actually does work uh and that you've got characters like hoshi who's unsure of herself or malcolm reed who's still quite uptight with himself um you know marcher hasn't got all the answers unlike captains to come um there's such a learning curve for the crew there's enough learning curve for new fans so if anything i think this is probably the pilot to introduce people to because it just it gets it straight from the bat um so yeah definitely agreeing with you on that one too uh part of the brainwashing kit and definitely one for the star trek fans and that's it um we've done the uh we've done the ratings criteria before i I set up for the next episode uh thank you very much paul uh that's three episodes in a row wow Wow. <laughs> or four if I have to split this one into two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to re-edit that. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is my fourth show. Yes. Uh, four episodes in a row, Paul. This is amazing. Yeah. Terrible, I know, and, and this feels as though I've just done two back to back. It's amazing. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah. No, it's always it's always fun. Always a pleasure to talk uh, Star Trek with you. Absolutely. And, uh, great to to revisit this show as well because obviously I'll have to, as you uh, progress with it, I'll. Um, watch the episodes along uh, along the way as well and um like I say, get back into it again absolutely yep and we will have you in for future episodes you're already in the timetable which means you are now obligated to come back so there we go so i'm in the timeline already absolutely yeah so the, i could do something now that you know would change the content would have consequences down the line absolutely um, yeah yeah exactly maybe, maybe i'm doing something now that's already been done and i'm Gonna go back and the future's the past and everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Headaches. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's no more headaches now. Uh, there's, in fact, no timestamps for the next couple of episodes. We are going to be coming back, season three, episode four of this podcast, for season one, episode two 
of Enterprise as we go to fight or flight at zero minutes, zero seconds. Oh, so much easier doing it this way. <laughs> Why did I do the past two seasons? I don't know. Um, but, but it's just, it's just like any episode of Star Trek. You, you know, the, the first two seasons you ignore and then by the third one, you just start to get onto your feet. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm mirroring how Star Trek does it. That's it. Thank you, Paul. There we go. Retcon, retcon. Um, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, thank you very much for listening and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.